Jesus, take this text then and use it to shape a clear and accurate picture of who you are, what it means to be king, what it is to be God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Or good afternoon, if you're watching this on the podcast a little bit later in the day, whatever it is. If you're watching your jammies, awesome. I wish I was in my jammies. You wish you were in your jammies. Let's be honest. This Sunday, this, this morning, this day is Christ the King Sunday. The last Sunday on the liturgical calendar that starts again with the first Sunday of Advent next week. Now, if you're like me, you didn't know that. <laughs> right? Like how many of you, I mean... There's some good presbyteries in here, but I wasn't raised in Presbyterian church. I wasn't raised in a tradition where we, you know, really stuck to that liturgical calendar a lot. Like we didn't celebrate Ash Wednesday or Holy Saturday or Epiphany. And I'm, I'm glad that our church does, but we would tend to celebrate back in the day kind of the, the other big three, Christmas, Easter, and Mother's Day. Because <laughs> let's be honest, those are the, the really important church holidays. So I was grateful when one of our staff, Scott Dean, pointed out that this Sunday coming up was Christ the King Sunday, and maybe I should align the sermon appropriately, rather than preach about, you know, five ways to still be Christian while driving on 405, or things like that. (laughs) I was grateful for a couple reasons. One is I wanted to be in alignment with what God is already up to, the church, uh, Sometimes gets it right, and I think this might be one of those. But the second reason was meant that uh, I get to, it meant that I get to teach from one of my favorite texts from Scripture. This is just an incredible text, Philippians chapter two, verses five through eleven. And I first fell in love with this text when I heard it preached by a pastor named Daryl Johnson. And I heard uh, Daryl preach this and kind of unpack this, and he described this text as the heart of the Christian story. The heart of the Christian story. And though I had followed Jesus most of my life, like some of you, it wasn't until I heard this unpacked that I discovered a Jesus compelling enough to follow. I discovered a Jesus that I actually wanted to follow. Maybe like you, you, you've been told all along, like, you need to follow him. We're kind of clear on that ever since we were little kids, if you are raised in the church. You need to follow Jesus. But here... I think for the first time I discovered this Jesus who I wanted to follow. What made the difference? This passage does indeed reveal the heart of the Christian story, but it actually even more so reveals the very heart of God. This is the heart of God. It cuts through all the trappings of popular culture. It cuts through our experiences of of father whether that was a good experience or a not-so-good experience. It cuts through even church culture. Some of the goofy ideas we can get about God, even through our church experience, it cuts through that stuff to the very heart of God himself and reveals clearly just how good and how trustworthy is our God, is our Christ, the King. Now, this short text presents us with the paradigm of what it means to be king. Literally what it means to be God. It's going to show us exactly. So I want to use that today to to walk through this passage together. To to kind of look at it, look at some of its words, some of its phrases, take it apart a little bit. Uh, It might feel a little heady at times, but you know what? It's going to be actually a short sermon, which I've never preached a short sermon in my life. This is the one. You guys are so lucky. This is so lucky. Actually, we're done. Let's close. 
And I feel a little bit like a baby with a power saw, which my toddler would love to use a power saw, because this text is so rich. It's so incredible. Now, just because the text is incredible doesn't mean the sermon's going to be incredible. Of course, you get that, right? Like, let's separate the two out and have good expectations. But, but this is an amazing passage that could literally change your life. So first off, this little text is um, believed by many scholars, not all scholars, but many scholars, to be a hymn sung by the early church. A hymn just like what we sang. Maybe not so much with the drums, but maybe, I don't know. No, probably not. But I'm glad that we used the drums. It's a hymn to the Father celebrating the character of the Father. A hymn to the Father celebrating the character of the Father. But what's interesting is that this is a hymn to the Father, but it's centered on the Son. It's a hymn to the Father, but it's centered on Christ the Son. So the question is, how does a hymn that is centered on Christ the Son end up end up? Celebrating the Father. But it all revolves around a decision. And this decision is the most important decision anyone has ever made, ever. It wasn't a decision made by you or I. It's not a decision that we could make. It was a decision made by Jesus, God the Son, Christ our King. And that decision made life possible. It made life possible. Life beyond compare, the kind of life we're always after, always trying to fill ourselves up with, but are often missing. This is the life that Jesus brings through this decision. So what was this decision? Well, we'll get there. So hold on. I'm sort of building tension. This is what's happening right now. So you got to hold on. But look again with me at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset of that as Christ Jesus. The same mindset. or In other words, have the same perspective. See things the way Jesus sees things. Look at it this way. Think of it this way. Have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. Other versions translate this as being in the form of God. Form because it comes from the word morphe, which means form. I know you guys already knew that. I was just reminding you, okay? Just relax. This word morphe means to possess the same inward reality and external expression as, as the original thing. It's the same stuff. It's the same stuff. In this case, being in the form of God means possessing inwardly and expressing outwardly the fullness of God. The hymn writer is saying that Jesus, from before time began, possessed the same character as God. Jesus, God the Son, is the full expression of God the Father. Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, equality. With God. Again, the hymn writer is making it clear that Jesus, the Son, is identical in character to the Father, which is incredibly important for us because we sometimes have some weird ideas about what God is really like. And this is what allows Jesus to say in John chapter 14 Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If you want to know what God is like, if your friends are curious about what God is like, 
Look at Jesus. This is what God is like. Jesus' divinity was exactly the same as the Father's divinity. So Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Emptied himself, taking. What does the writer mean here by emptied himself, taking? We know that Jesus did not empty himself of divinity. He didn't stop being God when he was on earth. He didn't like take a break, go on furlough, you know, and like just hang out as a human being. He was fully human, but not merely human. Fully human and fully God, this incredible mystery that makes sense of everything. Which is why the hymn writer says, emptied himself, and then follows immediately with that taking. Jesus doesn't get rid of something here in order to fulfill what it means to be God. He doesn't get rid of something. He adds something. He takes on the form of a slave. The form of a slave. There's that word form again, morphe. Remember, it means to have the same nature inside and outside as that of the other. In Jesus' day, there's a couple of different kinds of slaves. You want to be the first kind if you're going to be a slave. The first kind, you kind of get to have a little bit more choice. You've got some rights. You get to decide a bit who, who you're working for. And if, if it's too intense, like you get to kind of plead your case and you've got some rights there that are going to protect you. The second kind is the other kind that has no rights, that does whatever the master wants, when and how the master wants it. The Greek word for that is doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S, doulos. What did you learn at church today? We learned the Greek word doulos. It changed my life. Probably not. But it could. Here's why. Here's why. And by the way, don't go using that like against each other. Hey, doulos, get me a beer. Like don't, like, don't use that as like a little pet nickname for your spouse, okay? We don't teach that at men's fraternity. Um, Jesus emptied, what is he talking about? Jesus emptied himself taking on the form of a slave. In other words, the divine one becomes the doulos. The one who is above all subjects himself to all to satisfy the master's bidding. Why? Why did Jesus do this? Wasn't there another way? Why did the creator of all become the slave of all? He emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being made in human likeness. Likeness, again, having the same nature as the original. It's not just that Jesus looked like a man. He was a man. He was human, just like us, which means he can relate to our pain, our struggles, our insecurities, our doubts, our fear. We see all of the emotions expressed in Jesus in his lifetime. What good news that is. Fully human, fully God. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Not only did Jesus subject himself to death, but death on a cross. The death of a criminal. A shameful death. Not even an honorable death. Which is why so much we get this cross language combined with this king language. We sing about the cross a lot this morning. That is perfect because... He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The divine one descends to the very lowest point, the death of a criminal. So when Jesus stretches out his arms and dies on the cross, it's the clearest expression of what love looks like. 
Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, therefore. Now, you probably heard before, whenever you hear the word therefore, that means like pay attention. Because here's what it's all about. Therefore, put down your smartphones and listen. No, seriously, put down your smartphones and listen, okay? Because this is the point. Therefore. And what's interesting is we shouldn't expect the word therefore here. We should expect the word, but. He became obedient to death, but the Father was proud of him. He became obedient to death, but he got heaven as his reward. He became obedient to death, but it had a happy ending. That's what we would expect. But, but instead we get therefore, which means pay attention. Became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore what? God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at that name, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That means everybody, everybody, everybody for all time, past, present, future. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, the name that is above every name. In Hebrew culture, that name was Yahweh. That was like so sacred, you didn't even say it. You didn't even spell it. You had to take out the vowels. Or like this was the name that just was above every name. And this is the name. This is the name that the Father gives to Jesus. Why? Why does Jesus do this? Why does he submit himself in humiliating, shameful death on the cross well, at the beginning of our time together, I mentioned that this all revolves around a decision. This hymn centers on a decision, the most important decision in all of history. Now we're a little bit more prepared to feel the full weight of that decision. So what was it? We find it in this verse 6. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He did not consider. He did not consider not like he didn't think about it, like he did not consider in that he made a decision. This is the heart of the text. This is actually the heart of God. The hymn writer is asking us to almost use our imaginations, to think about what it was like for the pre-earthly Jesus to kind of look and evaluate what does it mean to be God? Like, what is that really all about? And he's not having an identity crisis, right? He's not going, who am I? Like, that's not his experience. He's also not, like, singing back in the song, like, oh, I just can't wait to be king. Like, that's not his experience, right? Thank you to the six of you who got that. Hakuna Matata. <laughs> He's not having an identity crisis. He's not wondering, who am I? He's considering what it means to be God, and he comes to a decision. Jesus decides that being God does not mean X. Being God means Y. He decides that being God is not something to be exploited to his own advantage, to take advantage of. Rather, he decides that being God means emptying himself and taking the form of his servant. In other words, Jesus decides that to be God is to be servant. Whoa. Did you hear that? To be God is to be servant. He doesn't give up the form of God. He doesn't give up equality with God. That would be impossible for him to do. Rather, Jesus considers that being in the form of God is most naturally expressed in emptying himself. 
Ooh, that's a different picture of God. That's a different picture of the Father. He didn't cease to be God. He didn't renounce his divinity. Rather, in becoming human, in becoming servant, he was expressing the fullness, the fullness of what divinity actually means. This is our king. Jesus decides what it means to be a king does not involve a castle, an army, and a crown. The best way to express being king is through a cradle, a towel, and a cross. That's our king. It creates a new understanding of God, a new understanding of Father. This is the kind of Father we have. The one who gave himself and gives himself entirely without reservation, holding nothing back ever because he can't do otherwise. He is God. As Daryl Johnson puts it, self-emptying love is the proper expression of divine status. That's a different God than I kind of knew growing up. That's a God that sounds interesting to me. That's a God I want to follow and to trust. The ultimate symbol of God's love is not that empty tomb. It's the cross that we sing about so much this morning. Now, we know that we are made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God. It says that right from the beginning of Scripture. We embody His image. We're His image bearers, which means we are most fully human. We are most fully ourselves when we reflect the character and the nature of God. Therefore, pay attention. Therefore, we are most what we were created to be when we empty ourselves and take on the form of a servant. I'm all about realizing our potential and like building a better life and getting better at this and doing good things and being good for the world. That is so good. And yet it comes down to this. We will never realize our full potential until we give ourselves away in that self-emptying love. Scott talked about this just a few weeks ago, that, that die-to-live principle, the dying to ourselves, we actually discover life. In this, we discover that following this God, we can't lose. There's no way to lose. I still doubt it. I still try to win on my own terms. I'm still like, ah, I really like that. That's a great idea. And then I kind of, well, but I'll make life work this way. No, he's saying, this is the only way life works. This is the only way. We'd have to be crazy not to follow this king because this is actually the life that we're after. See, no matter how high we go, he will go higher still. And no matter how low we go, he will go lower still. He will go lower still. This is our king. At the beginning and the end of everything is servant love. At the beginning and the end of everything is Jesus. This is our king, who because he was in the form of God, because he was in the form of God, he couldn't not do this. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He couldn't not do that. That's God. I used to appreciate those stories where they would kind of talk about, you know, to sort of create an analogy. They talk about a king who goes into disguise and comes down and helps out the common person. And I really like that. And that's not a bad picture of God, but 
Ultimately, God doesn't come down in disguise to be with us, to redeem us. He comes down to fully express what divinity looks like, taking on the form of a servant. Servant and king rescued the world. This is our God. This is our king. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray you'd use uh, this imagery and these words and these ideas to undo and subvert and disarm the twisted images that we might have of you. God, just as Scott prayed earlier, truly you are the Lord of all who does not lord that over us. And so, Lord, just now where we have those spaces in our lives where we are picturing you one way, but this is describing you very differently, would you help us to let go of that? Help us to let go of perhaps the pain associated with certain images of you that actually keep us from following you, that we use as excuses not to trust you. God, you've cut through those excuses with this image, that you would take on the form of a slave in order to fully express what it means to be God. Thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.